there's a whole lot I want to say with, to you today that I feel like the Lord wants me to say. And so I've even prayed, Lord, help me center my thoughts on you. I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to get behind myself. And I don't want to get ahead or behind the Lord. But uh, there's a lot I want to say. And so I want you to listen uh, closely today. Um, that may require effort and energy on your part. That may require an accountability partner. <laughs> and so you may need to look at the person beside you and say, hey, if I nod off, wake me up. Uh, hold me accountable. If you look at me and my eyes are glassed over and I'm in another place, elbow me and bring me back. Um, that's not a bad thing. Um, the Apostle Paul, remember, taught so long that the, the dude fell out the window and died on the ground. And uh, I've heard pastors say, well, you know, if you're going to preach a long time, you better have the power or the ability to raise the dead. Um, and so I, I, I have it. I haven't been able to utilize it yet because I have the Holy Spirit who raised Christ from the dead living in me. And so I'm, I'm sure it's there, but it's never happened. So I need your help. And so if someone dies in the pew next to you, just to resurrect them for me. Because there's something that's so important for us to grasp that the Lord, I believe, is saying to us today. And uh, it can be taken the wrong way. It can sound condemning, and it can sound like a huge burden to bear. If it starts to sound like that, say, Lord, help me put this in a different perspective. So I've asked him to help me to present it in a way that that's not what it looks like. There's definitely a cost to salvation. Don't get me wrong. But... His burden is easy and his yoke is light, okay? And so if it's heavy, chances are I'm not understanding something or I'm not doing something right. What I found in my life in the church world as I seek the Lord is that many times we vocalize things in one way, but they don't match how we live. Like we sing the song, Lord, you're my one desire, but if we could actually step back and take a snapshot of our week, he really wasn't our one desire. We had a lot of desires and he wasn't even one of them sometimes. And so it's easy for us to sit in church and raise our hands and sing, you're my one desire and completely not mean that in, our, in the way we live out our lives. That happens all the time. Um, it's easy for us to say one thing and do another. And so times like what we're doing right now, this 21 days of consecration, where we literally shut things down, we close down our, our normal routines and schedules, and we disconnect from the systems of the world, we do it because we recognize that all of those things can cloud our judgment. All of those things can cloud our minds and our hearts, and we, we don't see clearly. And so in order to, to see more clearly, we need to step back from the routine Spend extra time seeking the Lord because he's going to reveal some things to us. And so this 21 days of consecration is not a fast, okay? I don't, we have purposely called it 21 days of consecration because I don't want you to put it into the paradigm of what we do usually when we fast. Fasting is a part of it, okay? We've encouraged you to seek the Lord about how you should fast during this 21 days of consecration, but the 21 days of consecration is more than just a fast. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul quotes a promise from the Old Testament where God says, I'm going to live among them, I'm going to walk among them, I'm going to be their God, and they're going to be my people. So come out from among unbelievers and separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. I will be your father, you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Chapter 7, verse 1, because we have these promises, friends, let us cleanse ourselves from everything that can defile our body and spirit and work toward complete holiness because we fear God. In other words, there's a promise that God's going to live in us, dwell in us, walk among us, but it's not, a, it's not just a, an automatic promise. It's not just like it's going to be guaranteed no matter how you respond. That today, God's desire for everyone in this room is to live in our lives in such a way that we and people around us can look at our lives and recognize God lives among us and he walks among us. But that's not going to happen unless our response draws him near. See, here's the thing. God never moves. I know we like to say God runs to us, but he's like right here. And we're like, God, uh, fill my life with your presence. And you know what he says? 
Humble yourself before me. Because God opposes the proud. Remember we talked about this scripture? He's repelled by the proud. So we stand and we're like, God, fill me with your presence. Fill me with your presence. Fill me with your presence. Where just one act of humility would actually do more to fill us with his presence than a hundred prayers fill me with your presence. If you have been a part of our, our corporate prayer services at night, we've spent this week, Monday through Friday night, 6.30, uh, we have spent this week in humility, humbling ourselves, repenting. You say, well, how long do you need to do that? You'd be surprised. Um, literally, if you attended all the Monday through Friday times and you really engaged yourself in it this last week, you spent seven in a half hours sitting in the Lord's presence asking him to humble you and teach you humility. How many of you think someone that actually engaged themselves in that process would walk in more humility than someone who didn't? You would think. Okay? Again, this is not a, the only way you're going to walk in humility is if you come to the prayer service. It's not what I'm saying. You can do, the process doesn't matter. This is just a process. But we have got to stop fooling ourselves to think that if I just attend church on a Sunday morning and live however I want the rest of the week, I'm going to walk in humility. Uh-uh. It's not going to happen. If it was going to happen, it would have already happened. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, he starts to reveal stuff in our lives. And uh, I promise you this week, there was not a time that there's a microphone in the front and some people say, well, do I have to go to the front? No. But there's a greater level of humility when you go to the front and you literally confess your sins in front of other people. It's in the Bible. Confess your sins to one another and you'll be healed. It's a greater posture of humility because I'm admitting it in front of other people. And for some, that's just unthinkable. And sometimes they're generic. Like, Lord, I I know I'm selfish. I, I confess selfishness. And that's great. That is perfect. Because until we actually get to that point, he can't actually show us the acts of selfishness that are in our lives. Does it make sense? Once we start to posture ourselves in humility, you know what God says? I'm going to give you grace. I give greater grace to the humble. Meaning, I'm going to give you the grace to overcome selfishness because you finally have admitted it. And I'm going to lead you in a process of actually coming out of selfishness. And that is going to be showing you where you're selfish. Now here's the problem. Sometimes we feel overwhelmed with guilt because we're like, Lord, I repent of selfishness. And then all week long, we're like, oh man, I I just was selfish again. Here's the thing. You were already selfish before, you just weren't aware of it. Now you have the grace to be aware of it. Not in a condemning way. Oh, I'm still selfish. I don't understand, God. I asked you to help me be be selfish and now I'm I'm more selfish. No, 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 no. (laughs) You're not more selfish. You're just aware of your selfishness. And so what you do in those moments is say, God, this was just selfish. This act was selfish. I repent. And when you start doing that, it's even greater. I mean, you're never, ever gonna get to the place where the Holy Spirit stops bringing stuff up. If you do, I believe you're in danger. If you go through an entire week and the Holy Spirit doesn't convict you of anything, I believe you're either not listening or your heart has become hard. There's not a one of us in this room that doesn't have something with which we need to actually repent of. And so it should not make us feel guilty. It should actually make us feel free. The 21 days of consecration come from 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and restore their land. Is the word of God true? Then why is our land not being restored? Why is my family not being restored? Is it possible? I have never really humbled myself. Is it possible? I don't really seek his face. Is it possible? I don't really turn from my wicked ways. Oh, I go to church. 
I pray at an altar, Lord, I repent of all the bad stuff I do, but I go out and I keep doing it. I go out and I don't seek His face more. I seek sports more. I seek stuff more. You understand what I'm talking about? So this 21 days of consecration is not just about, uh, this isn't how we're going to live the rest of our life, maybe. But it's about hearing during these special days how we need to change our lives. It's disconnecting from stuff. Don't worry, we're not really going to live. Some of you are like, I have to fast the rest of my life. I have to never be on the internet again. Uh." We're going to talk about that next week. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. But that's for next week. (laughs) Don't get ahead of yourself. But we're learning how to live. We're recognizing that prior to these 21 days, my life didn't match everything I said I believed. So Lord, in these 21 days, show me where that is and start me on the process. Now here's the thing. Whenever, whenever someone is an alcoholic, how many of you know that the Alcoholics Anonymous, AA, was actually a Christian program in the beginning? Okay? Uh, it's actually then been used by the world I mean, go figure, biblical principles better than worldly ones. Hmm. Um, but businesses actually put Christian principles into their businesses. I mean, the Bible actually teaches us how to live in every area of life. And so the first step is, hi, I'm Tom, and I'm an alcoholic. Because until you actually admit it, there's no help for you. That's repentance. That's getting before God and sometimes in front of a group of people and repenting. It's going before your spouse or your family, your kids, your parents, whoever, and repenting. It's putting yourself in a posture of humility saying, here's what I am. I'm selfish. I'm proud. I'm a gossip. I'm this. I'm that. Boom. Here's what I I do. So that the grace of God can fill our lives and he takes us on a 12-step program. Okay, it's not like once I confess, I'm done. No, once you confess, you begin. You catching it? Once I start, once I say, Lord, I repent of selfishness. It is like you have entered God's 12-step program for selfishness. And he is going to lead you gently. He will not overwhelm you. If you feel overwhelmed, it is either your own head or the enemy. Okay, God will not overwhelm you. He will lead you step by step. And everything that comes up, he wants you to be in agreement with him on it. In other words, he doesn't want you to say, well, I was only selfish there because of the way so-and-so acted. (laughs) That's a step back in the 12-step program. I was selfish. I chose to be selfish. I was wrong. I admit it. Give me your grace to overcome my selfishness. And he does. This is the process of walking with the Lord. We don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't have to say, oh, what wretched person I am. We did that. We, we are no longer wretches. We're in Christ Jesus. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus, but we're still in the 12-step program. So in this 21 days of consecration, these corporate gatherings are so important because there is a greater humility when we posture ourselves in humility together. Trust me, we are crossing denominational lines. There are four pastors involved in this process. And we, four pastors, have to come into agreement with how to operate the service. You don't think there's been friction? I mean, we all have different ways of doing things. We all have different personalities. We all have different histories with the Lord. And so, you know, my history tells me this. Well, but my history tells me this. But this process says do this. Well, but my history, you see the friction? And we have even sensed the friction. We have prayed about the friction. The pastors, we have met every night this week, a half an hour before. We've been meeting for months, actually, to pray together, knowing that there's going to be friction when we try to come together in unity. But it's a posture of humility. What we're saying in coming together is, I value you. It's not just me and God. It's the body of Christ. It's not just my denomination, it's the body of Christ. We're gonna set aside the friction, we're gonna set aside the preference, we're gonna set aside how we do it, and we're gonna do it together in this way. And this is what we've agreed on going into this process. Here's how it's gonna operate, but there's still the process of working it out. 
And even the first couple nights we ran into, the music is too soft, the music is too loud, the music is not the right music. In a week of humility, it's all become about the music. And it's all just... It's all just instrumental music, no words. Because some people say, well, I can't focus when there's words. I can't focus in another room when, when there's other people there. I can't focus. There's too much movement and too much distraction, and I can't focus. And I can't focus when there's no music. I can't focus when there is music. I can't focus when the music is loud. And you know what all of that is? That's immaturity. Literally, that's what it is. When I say, God, I can't focus. I can't pray when there's music. What I've, in essence, just done is, Lord, if you want to move, but there's music playing, I'm disqualified, I'm not your guy. Because I can't focus when there's music. I mean, I can't focus when there's other people around, so Lord, I have to just pray at home alone. That's where I hear better. You see what coming together and forcing ourselves outside of our natural comfort zone to hear the Lord. And you know what you have to do? You have to fight. You have to fight falling asleep. You have to fight the, the, the distraction. You have to fight the other noises. You have to fight all of this and say, God, I'm going to hear you because this is what this is about. It's about hearing you. And I'm, I'm humbling myself to hear you. I recognize the value in coming together. I'd rather not come together. I'd rather not inconvenience myself and come to prayer. I'd rather not do these things, but I'm doing them because of the value you place on us doing this together. And you know what God says in Psalm 133? When brothers come together in unity, it's a place of commanded blessing. It's like God says, I can't help but bless that. And it's just, it's a posture of humility. So don't give up on these corporate times. You're gonna have all kinds of excuses why you can't come. The enemy's gonna give you opportunities and reasons. You're gonna be tired, it's gonna be cold, it's gonna be blizzards, there's gonna be, man, what a crazy week, amen? I mean, we had first week back to school and two early releases and two late starts and one no school and just crazy. All the reasons to cancel stuff and not have stuff, and, but we had prayer every night. And uh, the more you, you force yourself to humble yourself before God and before man, the more God is going to be able to do in your life. Now, some, I know some of you say, but I work at those times. You know what? God knows that. There's a difference between I can't come because I'm at work and I'm, I'm not coming, okay? And so God can humble you even when you're at work. And you can be fully engaged in this process even when you can't come. I realize there's excuses. Please don't leave here and say, Pastor Thompson, if I don't come to prayer, I'm not gonna be humble. That's not what he said. This week, though, God has already spoken so much through people's lives. So many testimonies that have been shared. I just wanna share just a few with you. Um, someone wrote and men, uh, mentioned that they had several difficulties this week, several crises that came up, things literally out of the blue that happened, and in the midst of all of it, they've had God's overwhelming peace. Uh, someone talked about the increased desire to deny their flesh and fleshly appetites. Someone talked about the, a greater sense of God's presence throughout the day and a desire to intercede for others. Someone talked about increased productivity at work, even with many unplanned problems. I can agree with that one. Man, Micaiah had a fever this week, and so I was out of the office Monday and Tuesday. I've had the most productive week I have had in, in my ministry year, and not 2015, 2014. Um, so much got accomplished this last week, and I, I literally sensed the presence of God through the midst of it. Taking time out, Lord... I, I don't have time to go to the prayer service. And the thing about me is, I have to be there. <laughs> like when I signed up for this as a church, I committed to be there at six o'clock, Monday to Friday, no questions asked. And so I had to sacrifice things that I wanna do. I had to sacrifice the, the, the James Valley Wolsey basketball game. Uh, and I'm like, but Lord, it's for my children. And so I, I had to agree going in that I, I just wasn't going to go to that game. Praise God for the blizzard that postponed that game. <laughs> I mean, isn't it great how God works? Someone talked about they, their, their mother had lost a hearing aid, and they prayed, and they found it. Um, so many ways that God is working in people's lives, and I expect more and more as we continue to humble ourselves. Now, I want to talk this morning about just one thing. You say, You've, you're too late. One thing, Psalm 27, turn in your Bible to Psalm 27, we're going to read this together, 
This is written by David. Uh, David is a, a man in the Old Testament. He's got seven brothers. And David is the youngest of these seven brothers. He's different from the brothers. He is taking care of the sheep when the other brothers are off doing some stuff. He's a shepherd boy. We know from the Old Testament that he has killed a lion. He's killed a bear while trying to protect his sheep. Uh, you know, we, we gloss over that. He killed a lion and a bear without a gun. Okay, maybe with a slingshot, uh, maybe with a club, I don't know. The Bible doesn't really say. He killed Goliath, nine-foot Goliath. Um, we were at a basketball game last night, and the, the other team had a six-foot-three, probably 225, 240-pound guy. And uh, I don't know if you know Jaden Waldner. He's not much. Uh, he's maybe 5'11", 5'10", and uh, maybe 150 pounds. And he was trying to guard this guy in the post, and I'm like, David and Goliath. <laughs> That's really what it looked like. I wanted to take a picture. It was so Awesome. I originally would have put Ryan Wager on him because that really would have been David Glad. But I digress. Um, he was anointed to be the second king of Israel. First king of Israel, Saul, wasn't uh, someone who would obey God. When God wanted him to do something, he didn't listen. And he was worried about saving face with people. He didn't really care about what God thought. So God is looking for someone after his own heart. Now, there are two ways you can look at that phrase, I'm looking for someone after my own heart. I'm looking for someone who is patterned after my heart, or I'm looking for someone who is after in search of my heart. And David was both of those things. And David becomes uh, involved in Saul's life because Saul is being possessed or, or tormented, not possessed, tormented by an evil spirit. And David plays the harp. I love the scripture. We have a lion-killing, bear-killing, giant-slaying harp player. who plays for Saul, and when he plays for Saul, the evil spirit leaves. Can I tell you, that doesn't mean if you are possessed or you're being tormented by an evil spirit, get a harp player. It's not about the harp. It's about the man. It was David. The spirit that was on David is what helped Saul overcome the torment. It had nothing to do with the harp. That was just the avenue that the spirit upon David went through. See, I don't care how gifted you are musically, the spirit that is on you is going to come through your music. And so you can put on a good show and we can all clap for you and celebrate that, but if the spirit that's on you is a yuck, people aren't going to be ministered to and transformed by your playing as much as if the spirit on you is good. That makes sense? I mean, God can do anything. He speaks through a donkey. So he can even minister to people through yucky, but he'll minister a lot better through a good spirit. So David comes and then Saul recognizes that the spirit of God is on David, not on him. He knows that David is in line for the throne. He's heard that David is gonna succeed him, not his son Jonathan. So Saul tries to kill him and David spends all his time on the run. After David becomes king, his own son Absalom tries to overtake the throne, actually succeeds for a little while. And he, he sets up a tent on the top of the palace and actually sleeps with David's wives in the sight of all Israel to basically show I'm king. I'm taking over dad's palace. I mean, he just basically runs amok. And David, instead of fighting for the kingdom, runs and says, if the Lord is done with me, uh, then I, I'm okay. I don't need to be king. Saul, on the other hand, recognized the spirit of the Lord on David and said, I'm going to kill David because David's going to take my kingdom away from me. See the two differences between someone after God's heart and someone after their own heart. Okay? You won't need to fight to protect what's yours. You'll trust that the Lord will protect you and vindicate you. So sometime when David's on the run from one of his enemies, he writes this psalm. Verse 1, Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. David not only plays the harp, he writes poetry. And here he's writing a psalm. He's writing a song, a poem, if you will, to the Lord. He's writing this song. 
declaring his confidence in the Lord, declaring that God's my light, God's my salvation, God's my fortress. Why should I be afraid? Why should I tremble? Either he's talking to himself to reassure himself or remind himself, or he's talking to the people around him, or he's trying to minister to others, but he's got a history with the Lord. The Lord, devoured, the Lord handed it over the lion. The Lord handed over the bear. The land handed over Goliath. He kept him from the hand of Saul. He kept him from Absalom. Throughout David's life, God has had a history of coming through. He's been my light. He's been my salvation. He's been my fortress. Why should I be afraid? In other words, I shouldn't be. God's done it before. He'll always do it again. He's faithful. Now, David is on the run, he's away from the temple, he's away from the palace, he has enemies that are surrounding him, so if you ask David, hey, what do you need? David could say, you know, I need protection from my enemies, I could use a little more food, we could use some supplies, uh, we could use some fresh water, a whole lot of things I need. Look what he writes in verse 4. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfection, meditating in his temple. For he will conceal me there when trouble comes. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At his sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. One thing I ask for. One thing I seek. I want to live in the house of the Lord. In other words, I want to dwell where God's presence is. I want to delight in his perfection. I want to meditate in his presence. See, his presence is what we need. Why? Because when we have his presence, we have everything. He's my light. I don't need light. He's my light. I need the Lord. He's my light. See, our prayer list so many times are what we think we need, but what we think we need isn't really what we need. We don't need light. He's our light. We don't need to be saved from our enemies. He's our salvation. We don't need whatever. I mean, he's our peace. He's our healing. He's our help. He's, he's what we need. I need you. I seek you. I don't seek what you can give me, but I realize when I seek you, I get what I need. And that's what David's saying. I'm going to come into his temple. I'm going to offer sacrifices of, with joy and praise because I'm confident he's going to hear me. Verse 7. Hear me as I pray. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. See, I love it. David shows his, his humanness here. I mean, I know God delivered me from the lion and the bear, but his flesh is still like, is he going to do it again? I mean, I know that God has protected me from my enemies in the past, but God, don't abandon me this time. Don't, don't turn your back on me. I know you've been faithful before, but are you going to be faithful now? And so David is, is letting us peer into his soul, if you will, and see that he's wrestling with the fact of, you know, God is faithful. He's my light. He's my salvation. But I really feel, I shouldn't be afraid. I feel afraid. Hmm. So then what he says in verse 10, even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, Lord. Lead me along the right path for my enemies are waiting for me. Don't let me fall into their hands for they accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous, yet wait patiently for the Lord. That's a great concluding verse right there. I am confident I will see the Lord's goodness while I'm here in the land of the living. I mean, he just told us he's afraid, but he's confident he's gonna see the Lord in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. What? Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. This one thing that David pursues, the presence of the Lord in his life, David is a man who constantly faces depression, anxiety, fear, sin of all kinds, and has to pull himself literally out of despair, out of all kinds of hardship that he faces, the loss of a son. Several times he lost a son, some the result of his own sin. He has to pull himself out of these pits, and how does he do it? So 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6, kind of gives us a, a peering into how David does this. 
In 1 Samuel chapter 30, David is on the run from King Saul. He is with these men that have also run from the kingdom. They have gone out in battle. And when they return from this battle, some other raiders from another country have come in and taken their wives and taken everything. And in verse 6 of chapter 30, it says, David was greatly distressed. Ever been greatly distressed? Because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. All of the the men's sons and daughters were kidnapped by these raiders. And it's David's fault. They're talking about stoning him. How many of you know that's cause for great distress? But David found strength in the Lord his God. See, David wasn't in Jerusalem. He wasn't at the temple. He wasn't at a place where God's presence normally was. Because of David's pursuit of this one thing. Because David lives his life after one thing. Living in the Lord's presence. Gazing on the beauty of the Lord. Seeking the Lord in his temple. My heart says in verse 8. Seek his face. Your face Lord. I will seek. It's interesting that the, the New Living Translation says. My heart says of you seek his face. And the NIV says. You said, seek my face. We'll, we'll get to that in a minute. That's, that's an interesting thought. But what I want to do is I want to look at three things, and I know what time it is, and I'm going to go through them very quickly. Three things that David has in this passage that if we're going to be people of one thing, we need to have also. Number one is focus. Focus. You can attend a church service, you can attend a prayer service, you can read your Bible every day, but if we don't do it with focus... It, it does us nothing. You understand what I'm saying? If you don't come in here and wrestle with your flesh and say, I'm going to worship, I'm going to pray, I'm going to listen, I'm going to engage myself, I'm not going to talk, I'm not going to text, I'm not going to check Facebook, I'm not going to do that during service. I know that we would never do any of that during service. But if, I mean, it's, it's like we think God's just going to do it if God wants to do it and I don't have to be focused at all. I don't have to engage myself in this process. You know what David says here? He doesn't say, the one thing I want from the Lord and I really wish I could have. You know why he doesn't say that? Because wishing means I'm waiting for someone to do it for me. I wish, I wish I had a new car. Well, great. Wish all you want. Until you start seeking a new car, you won't have one. Until you start saving and cutting expenses somewhere so you can store up, or you can do it the, the, the world way, which, as Dave Ramsey would say, is the stupid way, and you can fleece it. I mean, you can just go and just, yeah, I don't have to own it, I'll just fleece it and pay three times as much as you would pay if you actually saved and bought something a few years older. I mean, you could be wise with your money, or you could do it the other way. So, you could wish for it all you want, but when you start seeking something, you're going to get it. Does he see the difference? David says, this is what I seek. Scripture says, you will seek me and find me when you just come to church and ask. You will seek me and find me if you just read your Bible every day. No. When you search for me with all your heart. When you stop playing games, when you admit to me, God, I I am seeking you the best I can. I want to seek you with all my heart. I know I'm not doing that. Show me how. You just entered the 12-step program, and you are about to encounter the Lord. Hebrews 11.6, if you want to receive from God, you have to believe that he exists, and you have to believe he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Luke chapter 11, I tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you what you need because of your shameless persistence. I tell you this, keep on asking, you'll receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open for everyone who asks receives, and everyone who seeks finds, and everyone who knocks, the door will be open. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, some people say, well, Pastor Tom, I asked for this thing all along and I never got it. See, here's what you you don't understand. He doesn't give you the thing, he gives you himself. Pastor Tom, I don't need him. I need to be healed. No, what you need is the healer. And see, sometimes we miss it because all we want is, I just want the healing. 
And he's like, I'm going to give you the healer. See? You see what I'm talking about? I just want the provision. He's like, no, I want to give you the provider. One thing. It's about focus. Number two. It's about attitude. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. (laughs) At his sanctuary... I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. He's not just focusing on being in the house of the Lord or being in the presence of the Lord, but he's choosing to worship. Even with enemies surrounding me, even with all of the problems of my life, none of them have disappeared. They're still all surrounding me. I will hold my head above them and I will praise him. I will offer him sacrifices because that's my attitude. See, well, if I just focus, okay, if I just focus, no, you gotta focus and you gotta have the right attitude. What's the Bible say? Do everything without complaining and arguing. What's Philippians 4 say? Always be full of joy in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. Psalm 118, 24. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. But Pastor Tom, you don't understand. I have enemies all around me. I can't rejoice in the Lord. Get your head above them. I, I, you don't understand. They're up to my chin. And read Isaiah. You won't be burned or drowned. You're going to walk through fire. You're, gonna, you're not going to. The waters, you're going to walk through deep waters up to here. And you're not going to drown. Get your head up. Not in a proud, arrogant way because you need to look up. That's where your redemption comes from. We get disillusioned because we look around to people. Well, my spouse isn't helping me. My parents aren't helping me. My children aren't helping me. My pastor's not helping me. My deacons aren't helping me. My friend who was there before isn't helping me. Get your head above it. Get your attitude in the right place. That's what David did. David doesn't hide it. He's not like, dude, be like me. I never feel tired. I never feel depressed. I never feel. David's like, dude, I feel all of this. And I choose in the midst of it to get my head up, to offer my body to God as a living sacrifice because that's the kind of sacrifice he wants. I come into his presence and I offer the sacrifice of praise. Sidebar for just a second. We have, sometimes we use that phrase, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, come into the presence of the Lord, offer a sacrifice of praise. And we're like, that means when I'm tired and I don't feel like it, I just force myself to just praise anyway. Can I tell you, in the Old Testament, if you brought a sacrifice that was a lame duck, you know what God says? He's like, I don't want those. You leave them at home. What? Yeah, I tell you to bring me something without spot, without blemish. You bring me your best. And can I tell you something? When your enemies are surrounding you, to try to get your head up and give God your best worship, sometimes it feels like it, but we just we engage our heart in it. We get our attitude in it. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to argue. I'm not going to be bitter. I refuse. The enemy's telling me I should be bitter, God, because you're not being faithful. But I, you know what? You were faithful in the past. I'm confident you're going to be faithful. I am confident you're going to be faithful again. Still enemies all around me. Got to keep my head up, my attitude up. 1 Thessalonians 5, rejoice always. Give thanks in all circumstances because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. We want, God, I just want to know what you're, who I'm supposed to marry. I just want to know what job I'm supposed to take. I mean, I, I don't want to give thanks in all circumstances. Start giving thanks in all circumstances. Wasn't that clever? Focus, attitude, response. See, if these three things are right, don't worry, I know I didn't cover response. We're getting there. If these three things are right, God will not be far from us. But if these things are not right, God will be far from us. Our focus, our attitude, and our response. What is David's response? First he says, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. Now, if you remember, in the, this is the NIV version. In the New Living version, it says, uh, no, this is the New Living, excuse me. My heart has heard you say, no. Okay, here we go. This is the NIV version. My heart has heard you say. 
The New Living Translation just says, my heart says. Here's the difference. God speaks to us through our heart. Okay? And so David is like, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And so my heart responds, but how do I know if that's from the Lord? I mean, how do I know if it's really the Lord asking me to enter into this time of fasting? I mean, how do I know if it's the Lord that wants me to lay down my life? Because I hear people all the time saying, you know, Pastor Tom, that might be good for you, but I don't hear the Lord telling me that. And the danger is that we use that for things that are clear in Scripture. Like, you know, the Lord is telling me to do this, even though Scripture clearly says, don't ever do that under any circumstance. Well, but, you know, I don't feel like that's for me. You're misunderstanding. That's not a feeling one. That's a, it's in the word. No, no, you just, you can't back away from that. Because David goes on to say in verse 11, teach me how to live. Because my enemies are all around me. And if we think God's going to be near to us, if we live in opposition to his word, what Bible do we read? I mean, if only we enter into 21 days of fasting, prayer, consecration, all kinds of stuff, worship nights, seven hours a day of prayer. Yeah, but all of that is nullified if we just simply, God comes and says in his word, don't do this, and we just keep doing it. Well, but, but I'm praying. You know what God says in Isaiah 58 to the, the Jews that are like, Lord, we're fasting and we're praying and why aren't you listening? And God's like, because you keep striking each other with fists. What do you think? Just a day to pretend to bow yourself in humility before me? By the way, striking each other with fists would be the same as striking each other with our tongues. I mean, come on. Come on, American church. I mean, you want me to pour out revival on your land? And so you want me to be impressed by all your routines of fasting and prayer and all your Sunday morning services? And yet you, you leave the building. No sooner do you get in the car, but you rip each other up and down? Really? You want me to pour out my favor on that? Humble yourselves before each other. Stop it. That's what God says in Isaiah 58. That's harsh. That's what he says to the American church. Not to them. They're like, we're still bringing sacrifices. And God's like, no, you're oppressing each other. Stop it. And then I'll hear you. In fact, when you start lining up your life with, with obedience to what I've told you to do, your light is going to break forth like the dawn. You, I'm going to come and, and I'm going to heal. I'm going to restore. This is going to be a place you're going to be called the repairers of the breach. See, it's not just about the method. It's about the heart. It's about our response to God. And one thing about David's response, it was always good. I mean, David messed up. There was that whole affair with Bathsheba and adultery. And uh, he was just as disobedient to God as Saul was. If you stop and think about it. But every time David got confronted by the Lord, David was like, I have. Look what he says. Nathan comes and tells him, David, you sinned against the Lord. And David's like, I have sinned against the Lord. Remember when Samuel confronted Saul and he's like, what's this bleeding of sheep? And Saul's like, well, we saved a few animals, but David in that moment says, I've sinned against the Lord. And David begins to pray and fast for his son who is about to die. The son to him and Bathsheba who the Lord says is going to die, the baby dies. And David gets up from the baby dying, washes himself, goes into the temple, and he worships. Excuse me, tabernacle, temple not built yet. And he worships the Lord. That's David's response. David always says, don't take away your spirit. Don't cast me from your presence. You want my throne? Take my throne. Don't take the Lord away from me. Saul's like, uh, well, could I keep the throne? I, I like the throne. I like the stuff. I'd like to save face in front of the people. I mean, I don't, Lord, is there a way that I can humble myself without you know, everyone, you know, looking. Is there a way I can humble myself without everyone knowing? No. I mean, humility requires us to posture ourselves before people. Start letting the Lord humble you in front of your, your spouse and your kids and watch what the Lord does this week. One last scripture and we're done. Luke 10. It says... As Jesus and the disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha 
welcomed him into their home. Who? Who welcomed? Martha. Martha welcomed. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught. Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. She came to Jesus and she said, Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I do all the work? Tell her to come help me. The Lord said to her, my dear Martha. (laughs) By the way, if anyone ever starts a statement with my dear and puts your name in it, what's about to follow? (laughs) It's not going to go well for you. You are worried and upset over all these details. You know, he doesn't tell her, Martha, you're, you're preparing a meal. Why are you preparing a meal? I'm teaching. The problem was her attitude. The problem was her focus. It wasn't what she was doing. It wasn't that she, I mean, because honestly, David's not saying, I just want to live in the temple of the Lord. I just want to sit in the front row of the church every day. You got to go to work. I mean, you got to do other stuff. But what David is saying is, I want my focus, I want my attitude, and I want my response all the time to be like I'm sitting in the front row. Just me and you. So that if I'm in the kitchen, I'm at his feet. So wherever I am, I'm at his feet. Because look what he says. Mary has, there's only one thing worth being concerned about. One thing, and this ain't it. Mary has discovered it, and it will not be taken away from her. See, we can be really busy serving the Lord, doing all kinds of stuff, and miss this one thing. And we can back up all those things we're doing with Scripture. You know, the Lord, uh, anytime we feel overwhelmed or distracted or like Martha, the problem isn't Mary. The problem is not the people that aren't in the kitchen with me. The problem is me. It's my focus, it's my attitude, and it's my response in the kitchen. I would much rather it be Mary. I'd much rather it be somebody else in the room. Because then I wouldn't have to deal with me. I mean, God, there's not revival in my family because of my spouse. There's not revival in my workplace because of my boss. There's not revival in our church because of who? Me. I'm going to draw a circle, and I'm going to say, Lord, start a revival in the circle. Because I'm the only one I can do anything about. Lord, force them to do this. They're like, they're not at the place where... Mary needs to sit here. So Mary's going to sit here. Okay? You invited me for a dinner. You didn't have to. You did. Mary didn't invite me for dinner. You invited me for dinner. It, It was your choice. Oh. Don't you just get irritated when he's always right? Like, Lord, you called me to this church and people, people won't serve and people won't help and it's people, people, people. He's like, you said you'd come. Lord, I know, but I didn't know what it would entail when I invited you for dinner. I didn't know that it would be this hard. I didn't know what I'd have to give up. I mean, I'd like to just sit at your feet too like Mary. It's not fair, Lord. I mean, maybe you're not like me, but dude, I'm a Martha. I I mean, I love to get in the kitchen and I love to work. I like to sit at his feet too, but man, I just... And sometimes it gets frustrating when you feel like you're... I want to be there and I'm here... And the Lord every time says, I didn't, you did this. You, you asked, you, you answered. You... Lord, it's my spouse. I didn't make you marry them. You chose them. That was your choice. Right? And now you've made your choice and I promise you I'm going to work within it, but I'm going to use them to shape you. I'm not interested in you shaping them right now. We're talking about you. 
See, when you think you got a word from the Lord for your spouse, oh, please be careful before thou share it, that word. Because maybe the word isn't for them, it's for you. You, you, The one thing has, has everything to do with me. My focus, my attitude, my response. See, this week, we have talked about humility all week long in this 21 days of consecration. And we're moving from this week of humility. Now we're going to go into seek my face. Second Chronicles 7, 14. Humble yourselves, pray, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways. The last week will be turned from our wicked ways. Now that does not mean we have finished the 12-step program on humility. <laughs> that lasts until death or rapture, okay? One or the other. Um, we are constantly going to humble ourselves before the Lord. And so as we go through this week, we now not only want to humble ourselves, but we want to seek his face. Knowing that our focus, our attitude, and our response make the hugest difference as to whether the Lord is near us or far from us. And so, Father, as we enter into this second week, Lord, we thank you for what you've shown us this week for the ways that you've taught us humility, for the things that you've revealed to us during this process, for the things that you're doing in our lives, for the, the, the blessings that you're starting to pour out as we have responded to you in humility. And God, as we move now and we, we begin to, to seek your face, continue to humble us, continue to show us humility, Continue to show us the areas of pride in our heart and sin in our lives that need to be repented of and confessed before you. But God, help us now to shift and focus our attention upon you, upon seeking you, not just wishing for your presence in our lives, but seeking your presence in our lives. Show us what attitudes need to adjust so that you can draw nearer to us. Show us the areas of pride. Show us where our responses haven't been the response they need to be. Show us where we've been unwilling to respond to you when you've spoken. Holy Spirit, continue to speak to us in this week ahead. Make us a people of one thing. The one thing that we seek. God, we seek to dwell in your presence. We seek to meditate in your presence so that we can hear you. We seek to gaze upon your perfection, not our own imperfection. We don't want to gaze upon the imperfection of others. God, we want to gaze upon your perfection. We want to offer shouts of praise even with enemies surrounding us with our heads held high. And so Lord, speak to our hearts in this place in these days ahead as we continue through this journey together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to take moments and respond to what the Lord is doing uh, in this place, you can. the altars are open to you. You can... Uh, come and do that if you need to be dismissed. Just do it quietly and let this be a place of prayer for those that maybe want to spend a few moments in prayer before they leave.